shooting yourself in the foot is exactly what it says. You know, when I was growing up in South Africa, we had compulsory military service that we had to do for two years. And when I got to high school, got reduced to one year. And then when I graduated, I got exemption for a year to go traveling. And then they canceled it, so I never had to go back and do it. But often what guys would do to try and get out of their military service is they would literally shoot themselves in the foot and get, get out on, on an injured kind of dismissal type of thing. Not a good idea because you might cripple yourself for your rest of your life, but people would do it. Shooting ourselves in the foot is a euphemism. You know, we normally say when you've shoot your, shot yourself in the foot, you've done something a bit foolish. You've embarrassed yourself. You've done something really dumb. Then if you've seen the clip that's made its way around in social media of the unfortunate officer who's doing a uh, gun safety um, seminar in a, in, in a school of all places, and he goes to take his gun out to explain something, and he literally accidentally shoots himself in the foot in the classroom. Really, really embarrassing moment, um, you know, especially in a gun safety class. So maybe they should have got someone else to do that, poor dude. But anyway, these terms have become widely used in our culture for times when people just do things against their own self-interests. They just kind of self-destruct in some way. And there are many moments in our own lives when we've thwarted our own efforts, you know, where we slow down or even stop the forward momentum of what we're trying to achieve by doing something counterproductive to a goal. Maybe it's something simple like saying the wrong thing at a job interview, or even worse, saying the wrong thing on a date, you know, or putting regular gas in a diesel car, you know, that is a very unfortunate thing to do. You know, from whatever it is, you may have done something in your life that was really counterproductive to your forward motion, like the one time when I was riding my bicycle in high school, I used to play field hockey, and uh, uh, I used to have a racer-style bicycle, and I used to put my hockey stick across the handlebars like this, and I'd have, a, I'd have my, my, um, my clothes in a bag on the front, and I'd have my books and my backpack on my back, and I would ride my bike back and home from school. But the one day, my friend and I were racing home, and um, you know we used to like to take cut the corners, go in really quick, and he was ahead of me, and I had an eye on him in my peripheral vision, and there was this one particular quiet street that we used to go down all the time, was always empty, and I was chasing after him. He was about, you know, 30 feet in front of me, and he took the corner, leaning really down, and I went in behind him, and I just put my head down, and I, I pedaled real hard, coming out the corner, trying to get as much forward momentum as I can, and as I looked up, all I saw was yellow, and I tried to swerve, and it was a Volkswagen Beetle, the old style, you know, the one made with the heavy metal. Bam! My forward momentum was stopped abruptly. And, uh, yeah, the rest of the story will come some other time. But I was a bit of a fool. There were witnesses, and I was out on the ground. I'd stopped my forward momentum. I shot myself in the foot because I wasn't watching where I was going. All right? Lots of things. Maybe you've got something coming to your mind of some ridiculous thing that you've done in your past to stop some sort of momentum in your life. But you get the idea. And you know, the same principle applies to our walk with the Lord, to our spiritual lives. Sometimes when we're trying to get some forward momentum, uh, trying to grow in Jesus, trying to move forward into the life God has invited to us, in, us into, sometimes the biggest challenge is not the obstacles without, but rather it's we're stopped or slowed down 
by that age-old human problem. And what is that? By our own sin. And so what is sin? Well, you know, the clue is in the middle of the word. What's the middle letter of the word sin? It's I. And, you know, the real root of sin is basically when what I want or what I feel takes precedent over what the Lord wants for me. When I decide to do things that he disapproves of, or when I decide not to do things that I clearly know he is asking me to do and asking me to step into. And so that is what we want to be checking into today. The subject of today's message is the Akan problem. And you know who Akan or Akan is in a minute. And it's this problem that he is that Akan commits this sin and it stops the forward momentum of the entire nation. And so we're going to explore that subject today. So just bow your heads as you pray with me. Our Father in heaven, we just start off right now by saying, firstly and foremost, thank you for forgiveness in Jesus. And that we have an answer to the, the, discussion, the subject we're talking about today. And so this morning as we begin to uh, think about how we can move forward in our lives with you and what are the things that are getting out in our way, what are the obstacles stopping us from progressing into the life that you've asked us to step into, would you highlight things that are getting in our way today? Maybe they won't be things of a sinful nature in our lives. Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, Lord, we pray that you give us soft hearts today to ask you to come in and help us to deal with those things. Lord, help us to know that you're good. So much of our experiences in life out there and even in church has resulted in us questioning your goodness because we encounter this, the badness of people so often. Help us this morning not to project their badness onto you. Help us to find your goodness. Help us to discover it this morning. I pray you guide my words today uh, and let anything that's not of you be lost. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Joshua chapter 7. I'm going to read from the first verse. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen behind me, so you can follow along with that too. So a little kind of lead in. We kind of dealt with the previous passage last week. Um, the Israelites have just won out in Jericho. It's good times. You know, they've entered into the land. They've come against their first foe. And God has just given them the victory in the most weirdest and unnatural of ways. And so now they're in their camp. Um, they're uh, getting ready to head on to the next place, getting ready to move forward to take the next city so they can progress into their land and begin to inhabit it. And it says this in Joshua 7. But the Israelites were unfaithful in regard to the devoted things. If you remember from the Joshua story, God had said, look, everything in that city belongs to me. All the treasures and all that stuff you find has got to come into the into the, my treasury, it's mine. You've got to devote everything you find, all the people in that city, to me. Everything's mine. And it says this, Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them, some of the devoted things. And so the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven to the east of Bethel, and told them, Go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the army will have to go up against Ai. 
Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. So about three thousand went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted in fear and became like water. So what happens is everybody's confused. They think the Lord their God is with them. They think it's, you know, it's going to be a walk in the park. And they, and they lose this battle that they should have won super easily. So Joshua and the leaders with them, they tear their clothes and they fall down on the, in, the, in the dust. They put ash on themselves. And they just lie there the whole day in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Eventually, God shows up and speaks to him. I don't know how the Lord spoke to him in his mind or whatever it was. But he says to him, what are you doing? Get up. Right? I love how the Lord always does that in the Bible. What are you doing? What's wrong with you? Anyway, so he says, what are you doing? And Joshua's like, oh, well, you know, you're not with us. You've asked us to take the land. Now everybody's going to hear we got whipped. And they're all going to show up here and just destroy us. And there's not going to be an Israelite left. So he was like in that woe is me moment. And uh, God says, look, the reason why this has happened is because somebody has taken my stuff. You know, that's a short prep. Short, short paraphrase of it. Someone's taken my stuff. There's somebody within the nation who's corrupted everything, and that's why you lost. Find out who that is. And so he basically tells them to get everybody together and draw lots. That's how they did things in the Old Testament. Draw lots, and as you draw lots for the tribe, the family, and, and, and the individual, you'll find out who this is. And so he gets everybody together. Nobody says a thing. They draw lots, and eventually Achan is revealed. And he comes forward and says, oh, Josh, he's okay, look, what's the deal? What's happened? What have you done? He goes, okay, I stole the stuff and I hid it in my tent. And the people of Israel get upset. Um, they execute him and his whole family, pretty grim stuff. And then after that, uh, they burn all of his stuff, everything he ever owned. A big funeral pyre, burn all of it. Okay, that we'll deal with that later. And then... God says, okay, now, now that you've all sanctified yourself, you've dealt with the problem, now go and take I. And they did. And they went and they won. Right. So, long story. Weird, weird thing. What can we learn from it? Well, the first thing we can learn is the power of temptation for what is not ours. So, us people, we're funny creatures. Let's be honest, okay? Strange, strange creatures. For instance, if I took a box... And I put that box at the back of the room there. And I said, look, all y'all, whatever you do, do not look in the box. Okay? Something in there, I don't want any of you to see it. Don't look in the box. I've got to pop to the store to get some milk. I'll be back in 10 minutes. And, I'll, and off ski I go. How many of you are going to sit here and go, I want to go? Who would do that? Okay. I know you would, right? And I know you would. Right? Now, if it was me... I would go look in the box. I don't know, maybe you're all better people than mine. But if somebody else had done that to me, I'm like, I'm going to look in the box. Don't be sticking a box telling, back there and telling me not to go look in the box. Because like, now I'm like, there could be anything in that box. Yeah, hopefully $100. But anyway, whatever. We have this thing about us, us human beings, that there is something in our desires. I don't know what it is. Well, we know exactly what it is. That we sometimes even, you know, we, we want or even need something that God doesn't want us to have. Even if we know it's not good for us, you know. 
even popular music has lots of songs about people wanting things that isn't good for them. Or we want to do something that we know the Lord has told us not to do. And you know, the Bible calls this thing of us our sinful nature or the flesh in some passages. And it's a product of the fall of the original people who first disobeyed God. Now, how exactly this sinful nature works is a mystery, right? We haven't been able to figure it out over the millennia. Is it purely a spiritual thing that's part of our broken spirituality? Or has this nature been actually wired into our DNA? Do we have sin DNA? You know, is there something in us that, that makes us predisposed towards something? Like, for instance, you know, they've found over the years that some people are predisposed towards alcoholism, right? So some, some folk are more likely to become alcoholics than others. So what do we do with those people? Do we encourage them to drink booze? Well, no, we don't. It doesn't matter if they're predisposed towards it. It's kind of that type of person saying, maybe you and your family should like avoid, you know, as they say in Australia, the grog, you know. Maybe you should avoid alcohol. It's not a good idea for you. But who knows what it is? Maybe we'll find out what it is in the future. Maybe we won't. Either way, this thing is a part of us. It's there. And we have to learn with it and deal with it. And so Achan is a human being, and he has this temptation. God has said, you know, don't, don't, don't take anything. It's all mine. And what happens is he saw something of value that he knew was either to be given to the treasury or destroyed. And he wanted it for himself. Human beings throughout the ages have had that temptation. And so he gave into the urge, and he took the items, and he hid them underneath his tent. That's what the story tells you. Dug a little hole, hid them under the tent. How much the family knew about this, I have no idea, but that's what he did. So the things he took, just in case you're curious, right? he took a robe from Babylonia, which he said was a beautiful robe. He took about five pounds of silver, and he took a bar of gold that weighed about a pound. And so God knew this, and God viewed it as theft. And it caused this problem for the people of Israel. And something that we have to learn is this, that stealing from the Lord causes us to lose out on blessing. The Israelites had been blessed with the Lord's presence. They had been blessed with victory. They were going to go win. And as soon as this happened... That blessing was removed, if you like. I think that's kind of one of the better descriptions of the story. Whether or not God empowered the people of I, I don't know. I just think God just took away his blessing. And so there's this, it faces us with this biblical claim that is not really a popular concept in the modern world today. And I think it's not even that popular amongst some of us who are believers. And it's this, this reality of the kingdom of God. And it he thinks, Almighty God thinks, that the earth and everything on it and all who dwell on it is his, right? So you, your stuff, your, your car, your cell phone, God thinks that stuff's his. I'll just dwell on that for a moment. And so there's this notion that we as followers of Jesus have to live with. He believes everything on this earth is his. You know, if you want to see a scripture, there's a few of them, but Psalm 24 is a good one to check out. And so God takes it personally when people misuse what is his or don't give him his dues. So I'm a bit of an environmentalist, right? I like to be green. I like to recycle. I don't like to damage the environment. 
You know, some Christians out there don't really care about it because they think when God comes back one day, he's just going to burn everything and just destroy it all. I don't know if the text means that exactly, because when God's talking about burning and refining, normally he means making better. So, so I don't hang with those Christians with that idea. I'm like, I have this belief that I'm living in God's backyard, and I better not trash it, you know? It's his, so I want to treat it with respect, you know? That's, that's my main reason for loving the environment. And so, you know, God takes personally this issue that when pe- people steal from him or take stuff from him. And I learned, this, um, I learned this in a really weird way a few years ago with an experience I had with my brother. I have permission to tell this story. But back years ago, my, my, my brother, he lives in South Africa. He was going through a period of you know, financial difficulty. Things were super tight. And we were having this conversation on the phone. And I was a pastor at this point already. So you know, pastor's got to say the right things. And so we're having this conversation about giving. Right? I don't feel like writing a tithing sermon this year, so I'm just slotting it into this little story. Okay? You're supposed to do it every January or February, but whatever. Anyway, so we're having this conversation about tithing. And I'm like, so hey, how's things going? Are you tithing? But, no, no, I'm not tithing. I'm like, well, you're not tithing? You've always tithed. What's going on? He's like, well, I'm just like, I'm really broke. I don't have anything. It's like, you know, I get to the end of the month and I go to zero. And then when I get paid, I know that's going to happen, so I don't tithe. I was like, are you giving anything? He's like, well, no, not really. And, you know, one of my weaknesses as a human being is I, I like to be nice to people. I like to try and make things easy for them. I, try to make, I like to make Christianity easy for people. And the problem is, is God doesn't make it easy for you and me, does he? But, you know, I have this default that I have to overcome all the time. So I'm chatting to my brother. I'm like, hey, man, you know, being like a surfer. Dude, why don't you think about, you know, how much can you give? You know, maybe God's merciful. Maybe, maybe God will understand. Maybe you should, like, try and give 2% or 3% or whatever it is, you know, because I knew he believed in this. And so we got this conversation back. Well, he's like, oh, I don't know, man. And we talked about it for, like, an hour. And I didn't really challenge him. This was the thing. I didn't challenge him. I tried to negotiate. And I was like, hey, man, why don't you try to start with one and try and rebudget, go with two and see how it goes, you know? And he's like, yeah, man, I'll see what I can do. I'll try. So we hang up, and I'm going on my little gleeful way. And I'm praying that day. And, you know, I hear the Lord in very subtle ways. You know, I'm not one of these that hears the booming voice of God from heaven or visions. I just, you know, I tend to, like, see a wise way forward in things. And that tends to be how gifting of the Lord works with me. Anyway, I'm praying, and... You know, this has happened to me twice in my life where I have a strong sense that God's got something to say to me. One was in the naming of one of my children, was in a vineyard church during worship, and it, and it was like, the child's name is this. And I was like, dude, that was weird, right? Weird experience. The same thing happens to me. I'm sitting there praying, and the sense comes over me of, who do you think you are? I'm like, uh... I don't, think I've done, I don't think I've committed any big sin today, so I'm a little bit on the nervous side right now. Who do you think you are by telling somebody withhold from me what is mine? And I was like, now I'm freaking out because I'm like, of all the things God could speak to me, I'm thinking this was probably a small issue, right? Evidently, the Lord wanted my brother to learn a different lesson, and I wasn't on board with the program. And in to paraphrase it, in that prayer time, God strongly just said to me right there and then, your brother should be giving me what is mine. He's not. And when you found out about it, you didn't challenge him. Instead, you try to explain it and make him feel better about it. 
Now you need to deal with that, and this time you need to put your money where your mouth is. And I was like, oh, no, right? Because we were broke, right, at that point in time. We were hitting zero at the end of every month. Now, we were tithing at the start of the month, so we were hitting zero and just going to super noodles and stuff like that, you know? But anyway, so now I had to do the walk of shame, okay? So I went to Rachel first. And I was like, yeah, this has happened, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm feeling like I need to challenge my brother to tie for three months. If God doesn't come through for him, I'm going to give him the money back. I didn't have the money, right? So I was a little bit nervous. Anyway, so I did that. And I called him up and I said, hey, you know, this is what I feel. So I think you should do it at the front, at the start. Go for it and see if God provides for you. If he doesn't provide for you, um, I'll do it, right? So uh, he did it for three months. Being my brother, he doesn't really call me up and tell me how things are going. So I would call him up. But in the end, it actually worked out. You know, amazing things happened in his life, and that's another sermon. He ended up, I mean, this doesn't happen to everybody when they tithe, by the way. God blesses people in different ways, right? But he ended up, after the three months, his income went up 50% in the same job. He got like a 50% rise in three months. And it was like two, who knows how that happened, but anyway, it happened. And so God came through for him, and I was quite happy about that because that meant he came through for me. But the point of the story was not so much the tithing, was that this idea that all of a sudden I realized that God had this view of things that I didn't have, that he believed certain things were his and that he was entitled to certain things. You know, and so whatever that may be in our lives, you know, because I, I had I discovered that the Lord gives us stuff and possessions to do with as we like. Like, think of all the stuff you have. You can do what you want with it. It's yours, and God's happy to give it to you, and He's happy to see you enjoy it. You don't have to be feeling guilty about you know, I don't know whatever it is you like your, your motorbike, your car, whatever it is. God's blessed you with resources to get that. Enjoy it. It's okay. You just got a good deal. It's fine. But every once in a while, by and large, he does ask us to steward them in particular ways. He wants us to use some of our stuff in a particular way, whatever it is. Now, you know what it is because we're all different, you know. Um, and then sometimes he asks us to give back some of what he's blessed with us. And in this church, we believe it's giving. Now, if you're on a journey and, you, and you've got questions about tithing, come talk to me because that's another sermon. And uh, I'll try and help you with that. But often... He wants us to do certain things. He wants us to give back our resources to advance his kingdom. And what are our resources? You know, sometimes it's our money. Sometimes it's our car. Sometimes it's helping pay for groceries for the poor. Whatever it is, sometimes you feel led to do things. And that's God saying, hey, I want you to use your resources to help me advance my kingdom, to partner with me, whatever that may look like for you. Sometimes it's our time that he's asking us to give to him. He's saying, hey, you've got all this time. Right now you're doing, you know, you're spending four hours a day reading great books. That's all fine and well. I want you to cut that down to two hours because I want you to serve at this food pantry. You know, silly example. Sometimes you feel God leading you to do something for that. And then other times it's even what we're doing with our own bodies. You all of a sudden feel the conviction that there's something you're doing physically. You know, maybe it's a sin. Maybe it's not even a sin. But God's saying, hey, I want you to change how you're living. I want you to look after yourself better. I want you to take care of your body. You're getting a little bit unhealthy. Whatever it is, we all go through these experiences. Sometimes we know what it is because there's a scripture instruction. And other times, 
through just prayer or some sort of revelation, something comes to you. It's like, I need to make some changes. And it's because God is wanting us to do something with what he's given us. And so the Lord, of, the Lord was blessing the people of Israel with this land. He's like, hey, I'm going to give you this land. It's flowing with milk and honey. You're going to have wine. You're going to have this. And you can enjoy it to your heart's content. And they were supposed to give 10% of all of it back to him. And, but at times during this journey, whenever they got to stuff, they would plunder a city. And God would let them take all the plunder for themselves. But for Jericho, it was the first one. And God wanted the first of everything. So he told them to do it. And this was where Achan stumbled. You know, maybe he thought God was being unreasonable. Maybe he thought God was being selfish. Or maybe it was just he just really wanted that particular thing, so he went after it. But whatever it was, he did this thing. He he acted out, and his action came with a consequence. And it was a corporate consequence. It was a removing of that blessing from the whole nation. And so sometimes when we sin, when we do something against God's will, we lose out on a blessing. Now, the Israelites had been warned about this. God had told them at the beginning, he made a deal with them, a contract, if you like. The Bible uses the word covenant because covenant's a little bit deeper than a contract. And in that covenant, God said to them, hey, I'll give you everything. Just make sure you obey me. Okay? And he said to them pretty clearly, when you go into place, don't take any of the stuff because if any one of you takes stuff, it's gonna, everybody's going to get punished, Right? Like they do that in the military sometimes when people are in basic training, somebody's doing something, the commander will punish the whole group until that person fesses up, right? It's just one of these weird things. But you know, that may seem a little unfair. Thankfully, in the new covenant with Jesus, we don't really get that deal. So most of us, you know, individuals, you know, have to suffer the consequences of their own sin. But back then, it was more of a communal thing. And so this is what happens. That's another debate altogether about the, the fairness of that or how that even works. And you can go home and process that. God's good. You can deal with that. But so sometimes God's, our sin causes God to withdraw a blessing from us. And it might be something he actually takes away from us. Or it might just be, and this probably happens mostly when it comes to all your regular sins that we all commit, is that sometimes we just miss out on a blessing because it's a natural consequence of disobedience, whatever it may be. I don't know. Um, so let's use an uncomfortable example. You know, those of you who are married, you know, if you, as a married person, had, you know, married somebody who had lots of partners before, you had lots of partners before, when you enter into that marriage, sometimes you're a lot more insecure than what you would have been for somebody who hasn't had any partners before the person they marry. Because if you haven't had any partners before the person you marry, you know that you're the best that person's ever had. Right? So whatever insecurities you have, you know it's not because you're being compared to all the other ones. But if your partner sadly has had lots of others before, then you're like, oh, I wonder how I compare to them. And you, you, bring, you bring insecurity upon yourself. You don't have that blessing of security. Now, you know, God's grace covers a whole bunch of stuff and you know, we have the joy of that. But that's just one small example of how sometimes we miss out on blessings because of what we did before. But thankfully in the kingdom of God, God can heal all that stuff. You know, for those of you who had had that, where you've married someone who's had lots of partners, if that person loves Jesus, you don't have to worry about that because, you know, they're surrendering their life to Jesus. They only have eyes for you and uh, be praying into that. And that's, that's a wonderful thing. But lots of different sins have consequences. 
you know. Like if you steal and you get caught and you go to court, you know, the blessing of freedom is instantaneously removed from you. You know, you can call it God's judgment or you can just say, oh, you've, got, you've suffered the consequence of what you've done. However it is, sin causes us to lose out in some way. It has, a, it has sin, if you like, has a direction. If you're going on your journey and you fall into sin, your sin takes you that way, whereas kingdom living takes you that way. So you're going to miss out on whatever's over there, and you're going to have to deal with, with, with whatever's over here. That's just how it works. For the Israelites, for them, it was like victory and God protecting them, and that's how it went. So, we all sin. And thankfully, under the new covenant of Jesus, you know, we can get forgiveness for that sin. And this is the wonderful good news. You know, the sad reality for Achan, and I'm going to actually skip forward to this, is that, you know, we get to this point where even in the Old Testament, you can see repentance and forgiveness happen now and again. It happens in there. Um, But when Achan is exposed for what he's done, he faces the judgment of the people. And I wonder, I don't know if you ever think about this when you read the Bible, I sometimes think about this with Judas, but I wonder if Achan had repented before they started casting the lots. You know, if when they'd had that lost battle and the people came back, we lost, I don't know what happened. If he had just run out and said, it was me, we lost because of me, because I took some of the stuff, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. If he'd thrown himself on the ground, I'm pretty confident God would have forgiven him. Now, I don't know what the people of Israel would have done because 36 people died. So the people who were related to those 36 people might have been pretty cheesed off. So I think Achan might have had a target sign on his back. Who knows what would have happened there. But I think the Lord might have actually forgiven him. But what happens is he doesn't confess until he's caught. And so he suffers the consequence of that. You know, under the new covenant of Jesus... We're really fortunate because even if we get caught for something we're doing in this life and we suffer those consequences of it, we can still escape eternal consequences because of what Jesus has done on the cross. If we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm so sorry, he'll forgive us for that sin and he'll forget that sin. And sometimes, sometimes he even rescues rescues us from the earthly consequences that we have to face. Some people get forgiveness there and then. Some people get early parole. It it happens in all different manners. But we have the joy of that ability to have the second chance. Now, for the Israelites, it was corporately they got the second chance. Once Achan was dealt with, they, as a nation, repented. And then God went and gave them the victory, and they were able to move forward again because they dealt with the sin. For you and I under the new covenant with Jesus, sometimes we get stuck in something. You know, it's quite popular. People know about, you know, pornography is a big problem for men nowadays. You know, and guys who get stuck in watching pornography, it really wrecks their relationship with the Lord. Now, they might still be a Christian. They might be living in forgiveness. God might be forgiving them for that stuff. But their intimacy with God is damaged. And this is kind of what sin does to the Christian if you're a Christian yet today, if you're getting stuck in some sort of sin, what it does is, it's not that it sets you on a trajectory to hell. This is cutting out. Because, you know, Jesus has forgiven us our, our sins. What it does is it robs you of all that God's called you into. Because it robs you of intimacy with God. And it also 
takes you away from the life that Jesus promises you. Jesus says, I've come that they might have life in all its fullness. And when you're walking with the Lord and consistently turning away from your sin, you begin to experience that life. You begin to know the presence of God in your life a little bit more. You begin to see what God's doing around you. You get to partner with God more. It's just a better walk, whereas sin just moves you away from that stuff. It gets you stuck in things. And it gets you distracted and, and you begin to struggle in your faith a lot more, actually. And sometimes you can do it to the extent that you walk away from Jesus. But at every single moment of that, you always have the option to turn away from it, to be restored, to be forgiven, to even be healed. And that is the beauty of the gospel. And that's how you move forward. So, you know, if you've got stuff in your life that you're struggling with, how do you move forward? You bring it to the Lord. You, As they say, in, you know, my Pentecostal brothers will say, bring it to the altar. Bring it to the altar and submit it to the Lord. Ask for forgiveness. Be restored and ask God to help you to move forward. Sometimes moving forward out of sin is a long process. So, you know, the, the example of pornography, sometimes those people have to get into, you know, groups and go for counseling because that stuff can be quite addictive. Other times it might just be something you need to stop doing now and then and you're able to do that. Other times you need to walk with it in the community. You need to you know, go up to somebody in this room that you trust and say, hey, I've been struggling with this for months. You know, um, you know I, 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 keep, I keep doing this one thing and I, I don't want to do that anymore. Will you pray with me? Will you walk through me with this journey? Will you call me up every other week and say, hey, how have you been going with that? Have you done it this week and have you repented or have you managed to avoid that thing? And begin to walk through it in community because that's why Christians need community. Did you know that? It's because God uses the community to help us walk in a kingdom lifestyle. But you've got to be in a good community to do it because if you're in a, in a community that's a little bit too legalistic, they, they just make you feel guilty. You need to have grace. So you need to go with someone who's got a bit of grace about you, who's not going to judge you for you stumbling all the time, you know, in whatever it is that you struggle with. And then there's those of you in the room who might have walked away from Jesus or you have not even surrendered to Jesus. You're kind of like maybe you've been going to church for years, but you don't remember a point in your life where you actually made a conscious decision to surrender your life to Jesus. That's something that you might want to do today. You know, maybe you want to be, maybe you know, there's, you've got these burdens on your life. I was like that before I became a Christian. I just, I was aware of my sin. I didn't really know all the different sins that there were, but I was aware of it. And I was aware that it was stopping me somehow in this life. And I was aware that it needed to be dealt with. And that night that I gave my life to Jesus was the most interesting experience you know, those of you who've grown up in church might not have experienced this type of thing. But for me, I'd grown up in good old out there. And when I surrendered my life to Jesus for that first time, and they led me through a little prayer, and it wasn't super magic or anything. But when I got up, I actually felt physically lighter. It was the weirdest sensation. I was like, I feel like, like, you know, if you've had long hair and you get a haircut, all of a sudden you feel like there's less stress on your skull. Your head feels lighter. And I felt like that in my soul. I actually felt physically lighter. I, I've, you know, maybe it's with the knowledge that I'd been forgiven of something. I don't know what it was, but I knew that something new had happened, and it was great, and I was able to walk into that. 
And so whatever it is for you today, whether you're a believer that needs to deal with something because you know it's stopping you from moving forward, or whether you're somebody who's walked away from Jesus and you need to get back on that journey again, today I want to invite you to take your first step, whatever that may be. Maybe you need to confess to somebody and ask them to walk on that journey with you. Maybe if you're someone that's not following Jesus, you want to come down to the front here and just say, hey, I want to learn to start following Jesus today. Would you pray with me? And just whoever's down here, I'm happy to help you with that. We'll just lead you in a simple prayer of starting that journey with Jesus. Whatever it is, make a decision today to do it. And I'm losing my voice completely now, so why don't you stand with me? Rachel, Trey, you guys want to come down? Here at the Vineyard, we just finish our service with something called ministry time. And it's that opportunity I've just mentioned for you to respond. Um, You might have something in your life today that's totally not related to what I'm talking about. Maybe maybe you're sick in your body. You'd like to get some prayer for healing. We believe in that here. So come on down and get some prayer. Um, Maybe it's something else. Whatever it is, we pray for anything around here. So just take that opportunity. I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit, who's God's presence with us, just to rest on us right now. And um, uh, I invite you to be in a receptive posture if you would like to experience God more closely. And then just in a second, we're just going to sing our last song. And when we start to sing, that's your invitation to come down for prayer. If you want to surrender your life to Jesus, come on down and talk to one of us. We'd be happy to walk through that with you. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, you love us, that um, through Jesus, we're able just to turn at any time onto a new journey, onto a life journey that you invite us into. And so I pray for each one of us in this room, you know, if we're struggling with a particular sin, would you bring your freedom into the room right now in Jesus' name? Lord, for those of us who are just stumbling and struggling to move forward, and it's not sin, it's just something else in our life that's blocking us, Lord, would you bring us hope right now that you can break through for us, that you can help us. Holy Spirit, come and meet each one of us right now. In Jesus' name I ask. You sense God is meeting you where you are. Just rest in that. When we sing in a minute, you know, you don't have to sing, you don't have to stand, you don't have to sit, but just... Stay in that place. May the presence of God just minister to you where you are. Does anybody on the team feel they have a word to share? Yeah. Um, kind of like in that, in the great are you, Lord, like that sense of maybe someone not feeling like what you have to say is important. And I was praying about it more and almost like um, God wants to unleash some giftings in people um, and by holding those things back it's almost kind of taking from God in a sense or robbing other people of what God has for them and has for you so I don't know if that resonates with anyone but I just keep getting that over and over so let's worship
unexpected kindness I turn my face to you Surrounded by your mercy Falling into you You're carrying me, you're carrying me, 
pray this prayer of blessing over you before you head off today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Guys, have a great day. Thanks for worshiping with us.